Tonight we are returning uh, and continuing our study of uh, Jesus' Beatitudes, that first part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapters 5 through 7. Tonight we are going to focus on that fifth Beatitude of our Lord Jesus, uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I'd like to read the Beatitudes that we've already studied together, and then we're going to turn to sort of a secondary passage in God's Word uh, found in Matthew 18, the, uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Um, you will find the passage tonight uh, in the, the packet that was left on the pew. Please follow along with me as I uh, read God's Word this evening. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when He sat down, His disciples came to Him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And now our passage for this evening. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then moving on to chapter 18 of Matthew, I'll be reading uh, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Here we end the reading of God's Word tonight. Well, as we've studied the Beatitudes together, uh, we have noticed that what Jesus is setting forth here for us in the Beatitudes are the kingdom characteristics that all of us have uh, in Jesus Christ. They are part of our, our new nature, our transformed character in Jesus by faith. 
but they are also the characteristics that you and I are to pursue. We are to, um, to seek after these things, that they would demonstrate themselves in our lives. I've said in the past that one of the ways to remember what the Beatitudes are is that they are the attitudes that we are to be, the attitudes that we are to be. Another thing that we have noticed together in our study of the Beatitudes is that Jesus' teaching here at every turn stands in, in stark contrast to the prevailing ideas and attitudes and desires of our wicked world. God calls us as kingdom disciples to be very different, to be very distinct in the way that we speak, in the way that we live, in the values that we hold from the rest of our neighbors. For example, our world teaches self-reliance. Don't be dependent upon everybody. Uh, promote yourself. But our Lord Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit those who have a very accurate understanding of their need, their lack of resources, their need for God and His provisions and His forgiveness. Our world says, be the strong one, be the mighty one, climb over others to get to the top of the ladder. Our Lord Jesus says, no, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are courageously humble and give up things for others. Our world says, do what feels good. If it feels good, it must be right. Don't be too concerned with righteousness. Don't be too concerned with godliness, doing what God desires. Our Lord says, no. Blessed, actually, are those who hunger and thirst, who crave after righteousness. It is those who will be filled, those who are blessed. We saw that the first four Beatitudes teach us about our dependence upon God. And now as we look at the next three together, beginning tonight, we see that these Beatitudes reveal how that neediness, how our dependence upon God should reveal itself, demonstrate itself in our daily life as we interact with others. Because our Christian belief necessarily affects our conduct. I think of what the Apostle Paul says in, in Romans 12. He has just, throughout his letter, talked about the gracious and glorious salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And then he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's our Lord's call here in the next three Beatitudes. Having, having experienced, having come to know the mercies of God, now present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to the Lord. Offer yourself on behalf of the Lord and your, and your, your neighbors in service. Well, tonight, the fifth beatitude comes to us. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We have here a command with a promise, uh, teaching how our disposition as kingdom disciples should show itself in our daily living as those who have been the recipients of God's great and deep mercy in Christ. 
we are to show mercy to others. And in doing so, there is great and lasting blessing. Tonight, we want to look at a definition of mercy. We want to consider the depth of mercy that has been shown to us in Jesus Christ. And then we want to uh, consider how we are to display mercy uh, to others. Well, this beatitude, like all of the others, um, shows us that Jesus' words stand in contrast to the teaching of our society. And it challenges worldly ideas, worldly notions about mercy. So often our society has a very skewed, a very false understanding about what mercy is, what it should be. Mercy in our world is often equated with tolerance, with uh, not being judgmental. Um, our world tells us routinely that, that people's decisions are, are completely private. People are who they are, and we should never condemn anyone's behavior by calling it wrong. And so being merciful means never criticizing anyone for anything at any time. Being accepting, being fully tolerant of others. But that isn't true mercy, is it? That's being soft. It's being lacking in conviction. But it's not mercy. It's an idea about mercy that directly contradicts the truth as it comes to us in God's Word. I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about worldly ideas about mercy. He says, mercy and truth are always met together. They're, they're wedded together. Mercy and truth. And if we try to think of mercy at the expense of truth, at the expense of God's law, then it's not true mercy. It's a, a misunderstanding of what mercy is. You see, brothers and sisters, true mercy, true forgiveness doesn't minimize the nature of sin. It doesn't minimize evil in the world. It recognizes the reality of sin, but it addresses it from the perspective of faith. The merciful person recognizes that sin pervades our lives. It affects all of us personally, corporately, but yet the merciful are willing to forgive and seek restoration anyway. And so really, what is mercy? Mercy is the action of pity towards all who suffer from the miserable consequences of sin. Being merciful is the opposite of being vindictive and quick to judge. It includes being quick to forgive and not holding things against those who have wronged us. Being merciful is to show charity. It's to show sympathy for those who are sorrowing, those who are suffering in one way or another, and it's to do something to try to relieve their situation. So a, a very short and succinct definition of mercy is this. It's grace in action. Grace in action. And if anybody in our world, anybody in our society should be merciful, it is we as Christians. Because we understand what's wrong with the world. We understand uh, human sin and how pervasive it is. We look inside and we see our own sin. 
And it's because we mourn over our sin. It's because we mourn over the sins of others. It's because we understand that we are poor in spirit, that we need forgiveness and the grace of God, that we can then also be merciful people. And so we, are, of all people, are called to put grace and forgiveness into action in order to help others, to alleviate the, the tragic consequences of sin in our families and in our communities. But we can't fully understand mercy. We can't think about the true definition of mercy without considering the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there we find the basis for mercy. There we have the depth of mercy displayed. If we look at Luke 1, we read about the confession of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and he confesses by the power of the Holy Spirit that he understood that what was happening in the birth of his son, the prophet, that what was happening by the birth of John the Baptist was God's mercy long last arriving that had been promised to their forefathers. And after confessing that, Zechariah goes on to thank God that the Messiah had come through the tender mercy of our God. You see, Zechariah understood that it was on account of God's mercy in particular, His mercy upon us and, and upon our pitiful condition, that He sent His Son to earth to share in our suffering and ultimately to die to rescue us from that suffering and that sin. It was in His mercy that God chose to rescue us from what we in our sins deserve. And what is it that those sins deserve? We learn about it in the second chapter of Genesis. God said to our parents, Adam and Eve, If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And they did die, but not utterly. Not utterly. How does God respond first to the sin of our parents, which plunged all of humanity into sin after them? He clothes them. He covers them. An animal dies so that they might be clothed. The Lord is merciful to them. He spares them from His, His wrath and judgment by placing angels in front of the Holy of Holies, the garden so that they would not be consumed by God's holiness and righteousness if they dared to try and enter once again. And in the very next chapter, chapter 3, we have the great promise that the serpent, the ancient enemy of the church, Satan himself, would be crushed by the seed, the one seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, who would come to save His people. God responds mercifully to His church's sin. And so while our sin makes us worthy uh, to be destroyed by God, worthy to be wiped out by the full measure of God's justice, God instead, at great expense to Him, at great expense to His dear Son, He rescued us from utter destruction. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says that our Lord Jesus came willingly and He took on our human form. He became subject to our weaknesses, to our, our, our 
fatigue, to our sickness, to our, our sadness, to the toil that we experience in our work. And He took the form of a servant unto death. In order to restore our relationship with God, Jesus showed us the depths, the full depths of His mercy by dealing with sin head on. Sin was taken seriously by our God and by His Son so that through His death we will never die, ultimately. He suffered our agonies that our sins deserve so that we do not have to suffer. Jesus took the wrath so that we enjoy the forgiveness and the mercy of God. The beautiful results are described here in Ephesians chapter 2, 4, and 5. The eternal life and the riches of God's grace that are ours in Christ Jesus. That though we were dead in transgressions and sins, Paul says, but God being rich, being full, abundant in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This, the wonderful confession of the Christian that we have been made the recipients of the full and free, abundant mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Well, as those who have received God's mercy in Jesus, we are also those who are called, who are required to display that kind of mercy to others around us. Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 2, which I just read, and he says that it is, in fact, uh, us who have, we who have been created in Christ for good works. God prepared for us in advance to, to demonstrate gratitude for our salvation, for the great mercy of God by living for Him, by living for our neighbors. And so in practical terms, how should we go about showing mercy, displaying mercy to those around us? I want to conclude tonight by listing and, and describing four ways, four practical ways that we can respond in gratitude to the mercy of God by showing mercy to others. First, we should show mercy by helping the undeserving, by helping the undeserving. We are called to show patience and bear with those who do wrong. Sadly, we, even as Christians, we fall into the, the habit of thinking that we should only serve those who serve us. We should only love those who are easy to love, those who, who reciprocate, those who respond to us openly and willingly. We might uh, catch ourselves saying, well, you know, such and such a family member is so ungrateful so forgetful of all that I've done for them over the, over the years. I pour myself out for them, but they don't treat me kindly in return. They don't deserve my help, and so they won't get it. Or perhaps a, a more petty example that comes around a few times a year. Well, they didn't send me a birthday or a Christmas card this year. See if they get one. 
But we think of what the Apostle says to us in 1 John 4, verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And if we lack love, even for the undeserving, we reveal that we, would, we have not been thoroughly, radically changed by the message of the gospel. Then we are no better, really, than the unmerciful servant in Jesus' parable that I read in Matthew 18. The point of Jesus' parable is, is not so much that the, the unforgiving servant doesn't deserve the mercy that he received. He was forgiven a, a, an immense debt, an immeasurable debt. The point, the greater point, is that he should then have shown a similar depth of mercy to his fellow servant who owed him a trifling debt in comparison. His friend owed him less than a year's wages, yet he would not forgive him. Sadly, we, we are often like that unforgiving servant. We don't measure out our forgiveness towards others with the same proportion that we have received it. We are quick to judge, slow to forgive, even though God has so abundantly forgiven us in Jesus Christ. And that's why we need to remind ourselves of God's mercy and God's undeserved help when we were still undeserving. I read in, in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says that we were still sinners when Jesus died for the ungodly. Jesus didn't wait for us to get our, our act together to clean up our life but He loved us, He saved us, He died for us while we were still ungodly. We should respond to sinners around us in the same way. Not waiting for our friends or our relatives or enemies to get their act together before we reach out to them to help them. But we should be moved to show mercy to the undeserving by the mercy of God for us while we were still undeserving. Secondly, we show mercy by delighting to say yes. Delighting to say yes. We are called by God to be ministers, servants of kindness and love to the truly needy. We are to be developing among us a heart of gentleness and compassion which prompts acts of kindness, acts of mercy. I think of the, the early Christians of the first century living in Rome, living under persecution and oppression. When plague and famine uh, hit the city, which happened quite frequently, it was the Christians in particular who were known for their willingness to go to their pagan neighbors and to help them and assist them and love them and show them mercy in the name of Christ. It was particularly because of that great witness that the Lord worked through it and used it to grow the church. You see, we are called to, to be those who say yes to those who are in need. Oh, there's always reasons to say no. I'm too busy. My life is already chock full of responsibilities. I already serve doing this and that and the next thing in the church. My house isn't clean enough. I can't have people over for dinner. There's always an excuse readily available, but ultimately our desire as Christians should be to say yes, 
because the merciful promises of God in Jesus Christ are yes and amen. There's no maybe. There's no later if I have the time. It's yes, an abundant yes. And so we are called as believers to, to give of our offerings willingly, generously, of the bounty that God has given to us. We're called to use our gifts to serve the church, to serve its ministries, to serve our neighbors. We are to use our homes, this small plot of ground that the Lord has given us, this side of glory. We're to use our homes or our businesses as an inviting, a warm, a welcoming place to the needy and to the spiritually lost, the physically destitute. If any people in our society should be known as people who are giving and generous people. It should be us, for we are the richest of the earth. And so the challenge of 1 John 3, verse 17, comes through very clearly. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? John says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so let us delight to say yes to the truly needy. Third, how do we show mercy? We are to show limitless mercy. Limitless mercy. Our mercy is to extend to, to all kinds, all types of people, not just those who are well-dressed, or eloquent of speech, well-educated, not just to those who are easy to forgive. Peter came to our Lord Jesus and said, how many times should I forgive? And he said, is seven sufficient? That was the number of completeness. And our Lord Jesus said, no, not seven, but 77 times. Your genuine, unconditional forgiveness should be limitless. Your mercy should be without end. The merciful hold out their hands to help the undeserving all day long and forgive without limit. And so we are called to go beyond what, what common human nature would do. We are called to bless those who curse us. We are called to do good to those that hate us. We are called to pray for those that despitefully use us and persecute us. Is that difficult? You bet. That's very hard. But because we have received the limitless mercy of God in Jesus Christ, we should desire to show the same. In doing so, brothers and sisters, we are signposts of the kingdom of God that is come and that is coming. When we show limitless mercy and love in a genuine, unconditional way, we are signposts of the kingdom. We are evidence of the limitless restoration of justice and human flourishing that is going to come when Christ returns in the clouds of glory, when He brings in the new heavens and the new earth. So let us be those witnesses to the righteousness, the justice, the, un, the limitless godliness of the kingdom of heaven. And finally, we are to demonstrate mercy even as we expect 
mercy, as we expect merciful mercy. Jesus says to the merciful, the promise here in this beatitude is that we too will receive mercy. And brothers and sisters, that is good news. That is great news. Because no matter how dedicated we are to the Lord, no matter how dedicated we are to His cause of mercy, you and I know that we are still daily in need of the mercy and the the generous kindness of God. Our need for mercy never ends. And we can't extend love and forgiveness to the undeserving without growing greatly in our understanding of just how ungrateful and undeserving we still are and how much we still entirely depend upon the Lord's mercy towards us. And in fact, the more that we expose ourselves to the needs of our world and our neighbors, we're reminded that much more just how much we need the mercy of God and how graciously He has given it to us in His Son, Jesus. It's very hard to show mercy if we have no sense of how unworthy we are, how much mercy we still need. But knowing ourselves, knowing our needy world, mercy will become one of the greatest desires of our hearts. It will become one of the greatest blessings that we enjoy as believers. When we are controlled by the desire to make known God's mercy in the gospel, when we are controlled and motivated by the desire to make known that there is a real, not a fictional, but a real forgiveness based on the historic sacrifice of Christ and His victory over sin on the cross, when we desire to proclaim that there is a real relationship restored with God through faith in Christ and through His resurrection, no matter how great people's sin may be, when we have a knowledge of that, when we've experienced the reality of that in our own lives, then we will not only be those who display mercy to others, but we will also receive it in even greater measure. Mercy will then be the theme of our lives. It will be the heart of our gospel. May that be. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can spend some time meditating on the the deep mercy of God for us in Jesus Christ. That when we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of yours, while we were still warring against you and worthy of your just condemnation, you graciously, mercifully, sent our Savior, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who willingly laid down His life to pay the penalty for our sin, to rescue us from wrath and destruction. We thank You that we have been made the recipients, the beneficiaries of His great saving work. Lord, we are profoundly grateful for this great mercy, which does not end for us, but continues day by day, and we are motivated by that mercy to show it to others. And so, Lord, may we be those who love and forgive and care for the needs, even of those who do not deserve our love and mercy.
May we be motivated by the, the, the undeserved, limitless mercy given to us to show it to others. May we be hospitable and kind, seeking out the needs of others. May we not simply show mercy or, or love or forgiveness simply to the extent that, it, that we receive it, but to go beyond and love in a limitless way, even as we expect, even as we receive from your hand the mercy of Christ for us. Father, bless us in this week. Protect us from harm. May we live as signposts of the kingdom of heaven, of the justice and the care and the compassion of Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Well, let's sing of the great and tender mercies of Christ together. Uh, turning in our packet to number 70, uh, Thy tender mercies, O my Lord, withhold not, I implore, but let thy kindness and thy truth preserve me evermore. For countless ills have compassed me, my sinful deeds arise. Yea, they have overtaken me, I dare not raise my eyes. But pleased, O Lord, to rescue me, O haste to my relief. Be those who seek to hurt my soul, dismayed, put to flight. And they themselves be put to shame, who in my woe delight. Thou art my Savior and my help, come, Lord, and tarry not. That is indeed our prayer as we ask for the daily mercy and strength and protection of the Lord. Let's stand together and sing all three of these stanzas, number 70. <laughs> 